Welcome to Brooklyn. Welcome to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, welcome to the Giants Among Men podcast. Here we are on our debut with Radio Free Brooklyn. This is actually, believe it or not, our second recording. Uh, We had some sort of technical issue where we only got half of Brian's takes, and that was completely unacceptable because Brian has a lot of interesting things to say. So we decided to get, it would be twice as fun to record this twice. (laughs) Right. Two is better than one, and so this is, uh, you know, the first time, just some warm-up, some reps, um, and now we're ready to go. So this is, this is we're throwing that one out. It was disastrous anyway, let's face it. Um, this is the real thing. <laughs> this is the, the episode our listeners deserve. Um, it's twice as nice. And we're here for the fans. I feel like they should know that up front. We're here for that. Yeah, that last episode was garbage, and that's where it belongs, and that's <laughs> where it will stay. And this one is the one that our Radio Free Brooklyn, this is how we want to introduce ourselves. Let's face it. Let's start fresh. I'm excited. You're <laughs> excited. Let's do this. Let's go. All right. <laughs> well, let's turn our eyes north to Mamaroneck, New York, to uh, the Winged Foot. Well, what's the name of the club now? winged foot a foot of a yeah. wing this a is a foot. rare a rare uh, country club in the area not named after the indian tribe that was displaced uh, <laughs> to build the golf course because you know that is one of our as golfers that's one of our you know most fabled traditions is that we name the course that we play on after the indian tribe that we brutally murdered in order to uh, build the course so but wingfoot although maybe wingfoot could be actually i don't know maybe it is it might have some indian roots yeah that no that definitely sounds like it it doesn't yeah. sound yeah i think maybe so. that was I the name put... of like the chief whose throat was cut <laughs> you know in order to in order to, to get the 18th green you know just the way that they wanted it <laughs> that's, that's, that's most likely <laughs> <laughs> you opened you opened with displaced and i was like oh i think you mean slaughtered right right maneuvered out of the way uh violently right in, in, in order to play <laughs> our waspiest sport right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well so here we go uh Wingfoot uh is i think uh, often considered to be one of the toughest U.S. Open courses or one of the toughest courses in the rotation uh, for the U.S. Open. It's known for its narrow fairways and ankle-deep rough. Uh, also, Mamaroneck is a town in which I most recently fought a traffic ticket. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the I don't know whoever, the prosecutor? Are they? Uh, was I being prosecuted? I guess, right? To the fullest extent of the law. (laughs) Be that as it may, it felt a lot more like a shakedown. I was basically told, if you don't pay this $50, we're going to make your life hell. We're going to make you drive up to Mnernik like six times over the next three months. Just give us $50. Right. We're not going to let you play any golf (laughs) (laughs) while you're here. (laughs) Right. Nor would I have any success uh, if I played golf at Wingfoot. Uh, but, you know, the $50 that I ended up paying is is paltry in comparison to the money that you missed out on on your U.S. Open bet. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pleased that you're indulging my golf fandom, one. 
<laughs> and two, the reason we're starting here, yeah, is because the the final round of Sunday's U.S. Open. I am, you know, to tell the audience who don't know me, introduce. I am a golf aficionado. Played Hollahan Trophy winner my whole life. Right, I am the Fairfield County champion, the Hollahan winner, 1999. Shot 73, made a three foot snake on the third hole of sudden death playoff to beat Matt Ranger. Um, so Loser. you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could go shot through shot of the three hole playoff, but I won't bore everybody with that. That'll um, be a, a podcast for the that, Yes, but needless to say, made a three to four foot slider. Uh, to clinch it. But uh, so I wanted to talk about golf one, because it was kind of an interesting open sort of, it wasn't actually that exciting, but mostly an event that I had a little bit of cash uh, riding on it. Um, so for those who don't know, the event kind of came down to these two fellows, Matthew Wolf, who's a 21 year old upstart, going to be a really great player, but still really young, kind of his first time really in, you know, Sunday major pressure. Um, Going up against Bryson DeChambeau, who's kind of taken the golf world by storm. He's hitting it a mile. You know, he's averaging like 350 yards off the tee. Um, During the quarantine, he famously gained about 40 pounds of muscle, um, (laughs) you know, eating nothing but burgers and shakes and lifting a lot. And, you know, however else one might gain that kind of muscle mass in a two to three month period uh not making any accusations just pointing out it's unusual it's a pretty big transformation um (laughs) especially for a golfer but anyway and gained about 30 yards of distance in like a two-month period so anyway i had put a couple of uh, shillings on the young man, Matthew Wolf, a bet $25 on him to win. And given he's still kind of an unknown, that would have paid out $1,600 if he had oh won. God. He entered Sunday with a two-shot lead, sitting at five under par. He finished the day at even par, six shots back of DeChambeau. And my sweet $1,600 of cash money uh, went sailing along with him out the out, uh, with every bogey it went out the door um and just to give the audience just to know how devastating this loss is is that again wolf finishing at par is a score that would have won four of the last five u.s opens played at Wingfoot. yeah and i mean and it was the it was playing brutal it was the kind of day where any could anyone could have done anything like you know uh I wasn't feeling that great going in because you knew that like a 77 was out there. Um, he ended up shooting 75 and DeChambeau played awesome. There was just no way he was going to keep up with him. He shot 67, really closed it out. Um, and his advantage off the tee was just, you know, too much to overcome. Um, and, you know, now, you know, a lot of attention is going to go to DeChambeau. He was sort of something of an oddity. Um, coming into the week, but he'd become a favorite because he's just hitting it so far off the tee. It's, it really has given him this advantage. And there's a lot of fear about um, what he's going to do to the game. You know, now you're talking about everybody chasing distance. Everybody's going to be playing this way. Every, you know, you have a golf tour of just a bunch of Popeyes who can putt um, and a <laughs> bunch of just meaty, girthy golfers uh hitting it 400 yards and what does that do to the game? Um, you know, and I, I, I think there's some, I, I get it. I get where they're coming from. Like there's something really weird looking about the guy. He's got a weird swing. He's got a weird putting stroke. He's a strange guy. Um, 
And but you know, I don't know. It's kind of the birth of this new era um, in golf. So now, now explain to us novices what is it about uh, Bryson DeChambeau other than his body type that separates him from the more uh, Freddie Couples shaped players of the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, like, so this is, you know, it's not totally novel. Like, golf's been going this direction for a while where everybody's hitting it really long. And it, and it used to be, like, the, you know, DeChambeau, I forget, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he hit, like, very few fairways. And it used to be that if you miss the fairway and you're in the rough, you had no chance, especially at a U.S. Open. But it's been going that di- in this direction for a while where guys don't care anymore about hitting the fairway. They just want to hit it as far as they can because they know that then that they'll only have, like, a wedge or a sand wedge. And they can hit it close. And the way they get up and down around the greens, like it's just such an advantage to the length. Um, And so that's been happening. But what he just took it like this extra step of being like, I'm just going to make my body freakish. I'm going to swing absolutely as hard as I can. No concern for things like tempo or rhythm. He, I mean, the guy literally swings out of his shoes and it looks weird, but, it's he's gained all this distance and it's made a huge difference. And there's guys on the tour who could definitely match him if they, if they wanted to take that approach. So it'll be interesting to see like if more guys just start doing that and just saying, you know what the hell with it, I'm just swinging as hard as I can and you know, getting it down there close and then I'll I'll take my chances and and no one, you know, and, and, you know, it's going to have a huge impact on how they set up the golf courses and like they're already um, getting longer and longer and longer. Um, so. Well, so let me ask you a question, because, uh, you know, obviously I have golfed before. You and I have golfed together many times, but I'm not something I'm not someone that anyone would describe as a golfer. Um, but like, what is the difference where it, let's say you can, you know, kill the ball and so now you're, say, I don't even know, like he added, what, 30 yards to his drive? So now you're 30 yards closer to the hole, but I'm in a deep rough, which is what they have at Wingfoot, versus I'm 30 yards further back, but on the green. Like, what is the difference there in terms of the level of difficulty of what you're trying to accomplish? Because I guess on one hand, you have more distance, but on the other hand, you're not hitting from as nice of a surface. So, I, But it must be an advantage if it's working for DeChambeau, right? Or no? Yeah, it is. it's just, it is. They, they've just discovered that, like, if, if I'm 100 yards with a sand wedge in the rough, that's still better, actually, than being um, in the fairway 30 yards back. And, and really, it's not 100 yards, because with them, like, they can hit a wedge from, like, he could hit a wedge from, like, 170. You and I, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, for you, that's whatever it is, a long iron, you know? Yeah. So, he'd rather be that where he can hit a wedge from like 170 then 210 and now he's got to hit a relatively long iron even if it's from the fairway especially on like a u.s open where the greens are super fast and hard so if he's got a longish iron in his hands he can't get it he can't spin it close um so you know he and also it just allows him to you know take advantage of angles he can take it right over trees he can get he can he can avoid dog legs he can um, right, short right. par fours he can go for the green um par fives he can get any one and two you know it, so it's just it, it's it just creates like a two to three shot advantage every round every time he tees it up so this is going to be the new three-pointer then or the the new rpo it, you know i mean it's definitely like 
okay that he's doing this, but it, you are like, I get, you know, I don't like to be curmudgeonly generally in life, but I do get like, it's gotten a little ridiculous. And the thing with golf is there's this connection between the pro game and the amateur game that we're all playing the same game and look, we're not right. I mean, that's always silly. Yeah, I'm definitely not. Right. And, and it's maybe it doesn't matter, you know, maybe like they can, um, but, but we've been watching these, there's these, you know, historic courses and Wingfoot and we saw how Jack Nicklaus played it and old timers. And it's just a totally different experience to watch these guys play it now. And, you know, just shooting great. amazing. like you watch, a, I mean, Wingfoot still held up. Like guys were struggling out there, you know, like, I mean, you have Tiger Woods shoot 77, you know? Yeah. But you watch a regular tour event now. I mean, these guys just shoot 60, 59, 61. Like they are just obliterating courses. And yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, kind of watching big 12 football where you're like, yeah, okay, this is fun, yeah. but you know, I don't know if how healthy this is for the game. You know, is this what is every, is every game got to be 50 to 45? Like, um, that's so, a good analogy. Yeah. I get the reaction. Some people are having, also, he's just kind of a creepy guy. There's something weird about him. Um, and so <laughs> people aren't totally embracing this guy. Um, he wears silly hats. and uh, Well, they're they're scared. The guy gained 40 pounds in like three months. That's... I, I, oh, I mean, his body, you can't even believe it. Like, I've never seen anybody transform physically like that in that short a period of time. You know, I mean, the only other, like, other is like how replicable this is going to be. I don't know how many guys want to do that. You know, like. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. just gonna gain forty pounds, and okay, <laughs> I guess. Like maybe your wife's gonna be looking at you like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> or maybe she's gonna look at you and be like, "What are you doing?" Right, 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 right. Uh, it all depends how the weight is distributed. <laughs> yeah, he looks ridiculous. I find him look. He looks yeah, silly. I agree. Yeah. yeah. What were you gonna do with the sixteen hundred dollars? I, you know, I, I had a lot of plans for it. <laughs> so many purchases and splurges and, uh, oh God, I just had it, you know, in my mind, it was in my wallet. It was, it was, it was sitting oh, there to be. to be spent. Uh, you know, Matthew Wolf is an interesting guy. Like he, he has a kind of a goofy swing. I don't know if you recall Jim Furyk. Um, yes. who always was kind of the standard bearer for unusual golf swings. Yeah. And I generally like a classic golf swing, like golf, when you rooting for golfers, like the aesthetic is a big part of it, at least for me. So I, I go by like, whose swing do I like? And Matthew Wolf has this really unorthodox one. Um, but I actually really like it. It's something really weird about it. He does this weird, like leg thing where he kind of gets ready to swing. Um, but something about it, I really like. So I was wagering on him and rooting for him. And so it was just a tragic day all around. Um, and was the aesthetic of his swing is what made you decide to bat on, bet on him? Because he, he's a relative long shot if that's the payout on $25. So what, what made you decide to bet on? Well, the, yeah, this guy is, a, is like, he, so he, one of the top amateurs, NCAA champion. He's 21. He's already won on tour. He won when he was a 20-year-old. Like those odds are not gonna last long. Like this is it's the you gotta get it while it's hot. Like Right. You will, this is the last time you'll be able to bet twenty five bucks for you'll you'll get these kind of odds for Matthew Wolf. He's gonna be a star. 
Yeah. Um, well, especially now, a guy just finished second. And- yeah, and he finished. He was top five in the PGA. You know, he's he's already, like I said, already won on tour. Like he's going to be a really, really great player. Um, and he hits it a mile too. And, but you know, again, and that's what's always been cool about golf is that like different body types, different swing types, can still generate so much power. Yeah. Um. So hopefully we don't just get all these muscle muscle guys just pounding it out there. I, I don't, you know, DeChambeau, like, you know, he has some creativity. He's a good putter. Like he's done a new, you know, he's good for the game. I think I just hope that he's not like the start of, of a, a trend. I mean, you know, he's, he's really the, ev- the natural evolution of a trend that was already going on. That's um, true. Yeah. But there's, there is this, like, he's taken it to this level where now, you know, people are starting to talk about, should we change the ball? Like, our clubs, you know, out of control. Like, do we have to start limiting launch angles and whatever? So, um, I don't know. We'll see. It could be the start of a, a real change in how golf is played. If well, anybody that'll... cares about that, which I don't know, you know, I do, but <laughs> 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 maybe the game of golf can change and no, and it'll be fine. But you know, it's kind of like baseball, right? Like now, everybody hits thirty home runs and. Right. All they do is hit home runs and walk, and the game has kind of evolved in a way that's not totally compelling. Like I, you know, I don't want that to happen to golf. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say, with with baseball, you know, part of that change. I mean, obviously, they had that that period where you know, obviously, is referred to as the steroid era, where things just got completely out of hand. Just but, which is the fun era, though. That was like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Baseball was great, <laughs> but if baseball you look at it now, needs steroids really bad. I think, but. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> right. It was they great. Were, they were better off. Absolutely. Oh. But I think now you have, well, you might have more guys in the mix at 30 home runs. There's still, you don't have a lot that are approaching that top threshold where the records are and were prior even to the steroid era. You still not getting a lot of guys up at that top end. You're just the middle in terms of home runs has become a lot thicker. Yeah, I mean, I think they have the they've got ended up in the worst of all worlds. Everybody hits thirty and no one hits sixty. Yeah, and it that's stinks. True. You know, um, that's true. It, I don't well, know. Bryson DeChambeau should start uh, sharing his thoughts. Is I'm what I'm sure are some perfectly clean thoughts on right. science and exercise <laughs> right. with the baseball just, players. That's see what true. We right, we need those shakes. The same whatever performance <laughs> altering shakes and. Uh, scrambled eggs that he's eating. <laughs> let's get him to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the Yankees and speaking of baseball, let's. Uh, I think it's a good time to shift because Brian, we're a week away from the playoffs. The question is, will the Mets be joining us? And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, in this shortened season, in which almost everybody makes the playoffs, our New York Metropolitans. Uh, Managed to not make the playoffs, and I think their fate was sealed last evening. Um, and it wasn't easy not to make, not easy for them to not make the playoffs. No, especially what happened last night. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Jacob Degrom, you know, just just not, uh, didn't do the job again. You know, another loss for him. Um, you know, I guess Disgrace. you could say he pitched well. He did <laughs> pitch. Seven innings, and he had you know fourteen strikeouts, but he allowed two runs, and he should have known that the Mets were only going to score one run, <laughs> and obviously he could only allow zero runs. So, you know, again, he just doesn't seem to come through. 
Um. <laughs> My God, 14 <laughs> strikeouts in seven innings, and yeah. the guy gets the loss. And it's brutal. It's like a must-win game. They're playing, you know, one of the best teams in baseball. They're playing the Rays. Got to win it to keep any hopes alive. You go out there, seven innings, two runs, 14 Ks, take the L. Now, how is it that the Mets can't generate any runs? Like, they have good players, don't they? They do have a pretty good lineup. You know, this is like one of the funnier seasons of the Mets. Like, you know, between, I mean, a funnier season. This is every Mets season ever. But (laughs) (laughs) between injuries, you know, the loss, Syndergaard, uh, before the season, Stroman decided, opted out. Um, That coward (laughs) who didn't want to risk, merely risk coronavirus. Uh, no, he, it's a totally understandable decision um, and fine. Yeah. But anyway, they lost two starters that they desperately needed. Um, you know, then the, so the rotation just didn't come together. They did a me- very Metsian thing where they didn't spend the money to keep Zach Wheeler. So they tried to patch it together with Rick Porcello. Didn't work out. They got a bullpen filled with former big names, signed Dylan Batances, who was terrible. Um, and lineup is good, but, you know, a lot of guys who they were really counting on, uh, Lonzo has been okay, but not as good as he was last year. Rosario really was disappointing. I thought Ahmed Rosario was going to be awesome this year. Yeah. Um, kind of heartbroken about his performance, to be honest. <laughs> um, the Mets, every time, like, you think you're ready to fall in love, you know, whether it was Wright or Reyes, you know, Strawberry and Gooden, like, anytime you're like, we got some young guys. Yeah. I'm ready to buy Matt Harvey. I mean, Jesus. Oh, God. Like, they just disappoint you. So Rosario, like, really crushed me this year <laughs> but you know, he wasn't good and yeah it just hasn't come together you know yeah well i don't know if it makes you feel any better but uh if you just go a bit uptown things really are coming together things yeah i mean cashman he did it you he know did we, we talked he, about it a week ago and he you know he galvanized whatever, the troops right whatever the hell he did it worked all they needed was a good tongue lashing from a man who is balding and a roughly five foot six. That's right. all they needed. If that. I mean, that right. even seems like generous. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, the Yankees, thankfully, uh, are playoff bound. Um, thank goodness. Because it, it wasn't looking like that. And here's the thing, actually. Uh, I've, I've loved the 60-game baseball season. It is awesome. You will never convince me that they need to play as many games as they do. And I think it solves a ton of problems. Like, first of all, the injuries and, you know, we've had 60 games condensed into a much shorter period of time. So you're still seeing similar kinds of injuries and similar injury problems, particularly with the Yankees. But we talked just last week about uh, Giancarlo Stanton's calf issue and just like what, how serious is it? And what is that? And what's really behind it? Because if he was an NFL player, he'd probably be back out there the next week. But really in baseball, it comes down to just usage that these guys are out there every single night and they're taking a beating just because of how often they're playing. If you cut the season down, now I know 60 is too few, but if you cut the season down a little bit where these guys are getting one to two days off a week, maybe you avoid some of those injuries and you get a much better on-field product because you don't have guys like Stanton and Judge missing half of your season. Um but, I mean, that's obviously never going to No, happen. yeah, I agree. It's been great. And I think if you were to start restart baseball from scratch 
it would be more like 75 games or something like that. But because um, it's a, yeah, it makes every game more exciting. It you know, like you have to win today, which usually you're just like, all right, we'll see you in September. We'll see where we are. Um, right. And it's definitely more fun. But yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot of money involved. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not going to do it. But also, uh, you know, aside from obviously the entry talk, which is a little bit more boring, like you're like you're kind of saying, like, it's pretty hard to find your pulse during the course of a regular baseball season. But man, I've really been on the roller coaster with the Yankees uh, this year. Just starting off so hot, looking just absolutely amazing. And then totally cratering to the point where they dropped to 500. And it was like, are they going to finish behind the Orioles in the AL East? Are we going to finish dead last and miss the playoffs? I know. Yeah, you're right. Like it was really dicey. And, and then only to have them surge back and win right. like 10 in a row. 10 in a row. Which is unbelievable, and just here we are. It's been so much more fun, honestly, than any baseball season I can remember. I know, and it is like, all right, let's get to it. Yeah, here we are. All right, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going into the postseason red hot. Uh, hopefully, we can secure home field against the Twins, who are – it's shaping up to be the Twins are going to be our, our uh, initial opponent in the playoffs, which, I mean, it's just so tasty. I can't even tell you. I, we just own the Twins. I don't yeah. care who's on the team. I don't care who's on our team. I don't care who's hurt. We got the Twins in the postseason. Lock it in. Yeah, I mean, and it's been a weird season where there hasn't really been a great team anywhere. I mean, I think the Dodgers are probably the clear-cut best team. Like, the Rays have been amazing, but I don't really understand how. Yeah, um, same. And so you look at the AL and, like, yeah, you got to like the Yankees' chances, especially with Garrett Cole. Um the star power they have you know oh yeah doc how about the astros kind of being bad this year like coming yes. off this scandal and jose altuve has been terrible i wonder why like, i know i mean it's just like <laughs> you wanted to downplay it and it's like well what's going you know maybe it's just the pressure and i know they lost some pieces and everything but it is unbelievable that. But also, the pressure should be less considering there's no fan. Like, you thought that some of that pressure would have been every stadium, every road trip they go on, the boos were just going to rain down on them the whole game. But that hasn't been the case this year. That's so where true. is the pressure coming from? Yeah, true. And and, and definitely, like, no one's talking about it. Like, it, everyone's focused on coronavirus. It's not like the Astros have been front and center this year. They've quietly just been 500. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I don't just, know. It's kind of damning. Yeah, I mean, it's just damning. <laughs> <laughs> like, Altuve is unbelievable. Because, I mean, this guy's won an MVP. He's been one of the best players in baseball. And then it comes out and he's kind of like vowed, you know, oh, man, no, no, no. I know, you know, doesn't help you hit the ball. doesn't do anything. And then right. he comes out here. He's been terrible. What a fraud. He has the worst year of his career. I mean, I don't know. It's like, if let's say he never has a, a good year again. I mean, it's going to be, you're just going to, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was like the sign ceiling is, explains his whole career, but it is amazing how bad he's been this year. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's the most disgraced athlete of this century so far. <laughs> I mean, it's for me. Right. And, and I mean, I, I honestly, I'm disappointed too. I wish the Astros were better because they, I would love for them to be coming in here like this big villain. Right. You know, and instead we're probably going to end up the villain, honestly. Because yeah. that's usually what the Yankees are. But the Astros would have taken that kind of off our plate. But, oh, good. I mean, good, though. I, it's sort of disappointing, but whatever. Yeah, Go no. away. They did deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, they had it coming. Yeah. 
But that's the problem. They needed to get this comeuppance with full packed stadiums. I know. That is so true. We really missed out on the booing and especially considering they're not playing well. Like it would have been unbelievable. The, the Astros road show this year would have been definitely Amazing. really fun to watch. Yeah. I agree. I know. Uh, I can't believe we missed it. And instead, <laughs> oh, that sucks. I, yeah. I, I didn't even think about it. In all honesty, I haven't even really thought much about them, probably because they haven't had to play in front of fans. Yeah, and it just hasn't been a story because they just haven't been that good, And but they haven't been terrible. So it's just sort of nothing no one's really talking about. But when you really dig into it, it's it's really something. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, but so I, I mean, it's all just to say, like, they were the real dominant. They were the, like, really good team in the AL. And now, like, uh, you know, I know the White Sox have been really good this year, but I, to yeah. be honest, I don't know a ton about them. Um, and there just doesn't seem like outside of the Dodgers, there's been anybody who's like, you know, like the Yankees, you know, have as good a shot as anybody once, well, once this postseason starts. Absolutely. And look, if we hadn't lost half our lineup at one point in the year, who knows what position we'd be sitting in right now? You know, if we'd been just been mostly healthy all the way through. Uh, you know, I mean, Sanchez has just been terrible, uh, generally, but you know, for the, for the rest of it, I mean, God name a guy and they've all spent time on the, on the injured list this year. And it's just really been like, we are kind of peaking at the right time. So who knows what people would be saying about us if we'd been mostly at full strength for the whole season. But I mean, in that 10 game stretch, there was a stretch where I think we scored like 12 runs, nine runs, 20 runs. Like it's been crazy. Our 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 you know our pitching is going to be a little bit interesting, uh, but even then you know we like the playoffs start with two best three of five, so you know we don't need the our, we don't need a full five man rotation to really have success. Although then I guess you start to wear guys out when you get to the the real big series. But yeah, but you do just start using all only your best pitchers and yeah and. You know, you don't have to lean on, you know, these quadruple A guys as much once. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I don't know. I think we're poised and I think we're in a really great spot, honestly, um, even with a shot to, to sneak up on some people a little bit here. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a really fun playoffs, too. I know. You uh, know, it, it's going to be a bummer without fans, but yeah, big I'm time. interested to see how that feels, especially baseball, which really like. The, the juice from regular season to playoffs is usually such a jump. Oh, um, yeah, big time. I wonder how it's going to feel without people in the seats. Do you think they're going to up the crowd noise as well? Like on the broadcast? Yeah. Probably. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But it is. It, it's going to be disappointing, too, because then, too, I don't know. Well, I guess it's not true because – you know, one of the things I do think it's important for the Yankees to grab home field this week because they're 21 and 7 at home and 10 and 16 away. And you would think that home field's not as much across any sport almost at this point, but I guess it is. You have to factor in the travel and all that comes with it for these guys. I'm sure it's not easy to travel at this time either. So um, it, it, it will make a difference. But yeah, not having that juice is really going to hurt. Um, it's 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 yeah it's gonna hurt the the viewing experience because playoff baseball is electric. I mean yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that. God, coronavirus. 
Right. It's been a problem. <laughs> it's been a bit of an issue. I found it to be generally unpleasant. I have too. I have not liked it at all. <laughs> I hope next year. I think we should not do it. <laughs> I agree. Great. Let's make that a resolution for 2021. Right. Yeah. I resolve to not do this again. <laughs> well, speaking of things I don't like. Right, or never want to to, do again. Is it time to talk about the Giants game? Yes, we have arrived at that time. All right, let's do it. Let's let's get into it. So the Giants played the Chicago Bears on Sunday, and it it could have gone better. It could have gone better. I'm going (laughs) to remind the audience, too, that I think it's important to know that you felt very good about this game. (laughs) (laughs) A week ago. You were you were like, no, I feel good about this. We're gonna beat those bears. I did. Um, yeah. And look, I still think we were better. I watched yeah. the game. I still think we're better than them. Honestly. I know. You know, that was the only thing that that's the only reason and a dark day for Giants football that I didn't feel totally alone and depressed was just that by the time the final whistle blew, I felt we were the better team. Yeah, I agree. I have some very, uh, very conflicted emotions about some of the attention that our fight in the second half got. Uh, yeah, it's not nothing. It's really not, and it's a positive step uh, because I don't think we would have seen that last year, uh, or the year before, or the year before. <laughs> but uh, still, it, it's just like. And you said it. I think you said it last week. Just enough of the moral victories. Yeah, yeah. It's time to get some scored victories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. I'm so sick of hearing about fight. The only thing I will say that made this a little feel a little different to me was in that fourth quarter was we made the plays that we needed to make. Like we, we stopped them on fourth down on, on the final drive when they're trying to ice the game. Twice, actually, because the first time, you know, there was that ridiculous um, deflection and the offensive lineman caught it. How was he not an illegal man downfield, by the way? I don't know. Because he was, like, right at the first down marker. Yeah, that's true. When he caught it. All he had to do was fall forward. I guess because the ball had been batted around. I don't know. Yeah. It It was fourth and short, though, so. Right, right, right. Uh, right, and when and everything you're saying that we managed to do in the fourth quarter, we obviously did all of it without Saquon Barkley, who is done. He's, right, he's gone. He's gone forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least he's, as we've known him, like he may return in a, a form that is uh, similar and even very good, but he's he's changed forever. <laughs> yeah, he'll, right. He's never the same. Yeah, it's just. And if we all, by the way, we can all thank Tiki for that. Right. Tiki, 100% at fault. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any question about it. He no, knows what he did. It. He knows what he was doing. He was trying to do this. <laughs> Just like he used the C word on purpose when he covered the Olympics. Last right. year, we debated whether he knew he was doing it. I have now, I have decided officially he knew what he was doing. He both times. Right. <laughs> It is unbelievable, though, right after he causes a stir with his, you know, annoying comments 
and then immediately guy tears his ACL. Tears his ACL. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, you knew it immediately too. You just yep. it was the agony of that only comes from from such a situation. It's so true too. Like the next day on Twitter, when it was like, you know, we're going to have news on Saquon today. It was like, who cares? We know. What do you mean they're going to have news? news. I know what what a torn ACL writhing in pain looks like. I can distinguish it from a sprain, from, (laughs) from a sprained joint or a, you know, a a high ankle sprain. I know what a torn ACL looks like. I've seen enough poor athletes writhing in pain on the field of play to diagnose that in my sleep. Right. We've even seen Saquon get hurt before, and I've never seen him throw his helmet off like that. I'll tell you that. You knew what I mean? That guy's a machine, you know? Like, there was just no question about what that was. Um, And it was just so sad. It's so sad. I mean, this guy has potential to be such an exciting player. He's, like, one of the only things to really tune in for with this team. Like, to have to slog through 14 more games without him (laughs) is just... Um, you know, I guess if there's a silver lining, it's at least we don't have to see deal with Jason Garrett misusing him or feeling like we're not getting the most out of him. That's true. Um, at least he's just gone and you can't be like, why aren't we doing this with him? Why aren't we doing that with him? You know, like, so maybe that's, maybe that's just the, I don't know. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. That's (laughs) such a ridiculous thing to say. And yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and yet i made me feel better honestly it did <laughs> right that's the blessing in disguise at least i don't have to be wondering why isn't barkley why can't we get him the ball i just well I, we maybe he'd be having a great game but he's not here <laughs> uh speaking of jason garrett I would love it. I want to sit him down let's get maybe let's get him on the podcast let's do that okay um, i'll reach out um, <laughs> yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get him in here. I want to know why do we run the hurry up offense at the beginning of the game? What is it that he thinks that gives our team a specific advantage and our personnel over the defenses that we're playing? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that he doesn't have a great answer to that question, <laughs> and that we're kind of just doing it. Yeah. I think we're absolutely just, it's just a rebrand. It's just, yeah. you know, it's exciting. It's a new pair of shoes and he's just like, you know, he's running. He wants to show you how fast he can run in those new shoes. <laughs> you know, you get your kids a new pair of shoes. My son is always like, dad, you want to see how fast I can run? <laughs> he's got a new outfit on. He's not in the Cowboys. He's in giant stuff. We're going, we're moving. <laughs> like, was that interview? It's just like to change his rep. Yeah, that, but that seems like what it is. Like, was that interview just like, all right, guys, I'm bringing with me the Jason Garrett offense, <laughs> but faster. Right. <laughs> right. And, and also, like, not fast, mind you, but right. just like, you know. <laughs> the players won't be moving any faster. I'll right. just be telling them what to do faster. Right. We're just going a little quicker. Uh, no. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's part of some thought out plan. Um, well, I don't it, know, but it must have to be right. Like, isn't judges thing that like everything is thought through and we, you know, we have a plan. Nothing yeah, we, we do explain is, why. Yeah. yeah. Is, we don't right. do anything just to do it. It's like, well, except that you just hire Jason Garrett just to do it. And 
<laughs> seemingly allowed him to make really important decisions just to do it. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And let's talk about the hire too, because right, exactly. We don't do anything just to do it, except everything involving Jason Garrett. Right. <laughs> like, I just don't buy it. So I, cause we were talking about it this week and, and I went back and I found it. So on November 13th, Daryl Slater for NJ.com wrote an article about how Jason Garrett would be interested in coaching for the Giants if Dallas did not renew his contract. And I remember reading that in November and laughing hysterically. Like, oh, is that what Jason Garrett would like? Right. <laughs> right, I know. I'm sure he would. <laughs> of course he'd love to be the Giants head coach. I mean, he's about to get fired. Right. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice? Right. Like, once this... A hugely embarrassing season wraps up with the Cowboys in which he underachieves for the 10th year in a row. He might be, make a good fit for the Giants. Like, oh, okay. Right. right. <laughs> I just feel like it's from, from Anchorman. My reaction is like, I remember reading that article. I wrote it in my journal. Right. Derek Slater wrote, wrote a very funny joke. Like, right. <laughs> like, right. That won't happen. I yeah. mean, my God. And then... You know, you kept hearing it, and I thought, oh, my God, they're going to do it. And it felt like Daniel Jones – and again, Daniel Jones – we're going to talk about him in a second. But, you know, it felt similar where it's like you feel like you're that uh, evil henchman in Austin Powers where you've got that steamroller coming at you, and it's – you know, you have obviously have plenty of time and space to get out of the way, but you're just standing there going, yeah. no, no, before you get flattened. <laughs> and it really felt like that. It felt like, oh, my God, they're really going to hire Jason Garrett. And then they hired Joe Judge. God, I was so relieved and I was so ready to embrace Joe Judge. And then a few weeks later, there's Jason Garrett's stupid face again. And now he's with us. Yeah. And I just, it's like, it's almost like the, it's like the same thing with the Maras and Gettleman. They had that in their mind. They sort of felt like they couldn't sell him as the head coach to the fan base. So they're just like, let's make him the offensive coordinator. And you got to wonder what kind of say did Judge have in that decision? And what is their relationship even like? I don't know, because you're right. It's like it made no sense for him to be the head coach. And so you were so glad when that didn't happen. And then but it makes maybe less sense for him to be the offensive coordinator. You know, I mean, here's this young coach. I mean, the only argument and and I heard it at nauseum is obviously they went with a really young coach who's inexperienced. So they wanted to bring an experienced hand who's, you know, is somebody they know and they feel comfortable with, you know, but the, the, the counter to that is then don't hire the young inexperienced guy. If you don't trust him to hire his own offensive coordinator Absolutely. responsibly, you know what I mean? <laughs> like right. if, he, if he can't be trusted to do the job, unless Jason Garrett is babysitting him, then hire somebody else. Right. And hire a better babysitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. Get a babysitter who's not staring at her phone the whole time, and uh, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, just brutal. Like how we ended up with this guy, and you know, the problem too with the with the hurry up offense that he runs in the beginning of the game is, you know, what I feel like people got to understand is hurry up offenses put an enormous amount of stress on defenses, even when they're successful. So obviously we weren't successful against the Bears and it put a lot of stress on the defense because, uh, you know, the Bears put together a real nice drive. They had the ball for a long time. We go out there, we go hurry up, turn it over. They kick a field goal. We go hurry up again and the defense is back out there. And so it just puts a lot of stress on a defense that already 
is just not very talented. And the last thing they need to do is be out on the field more. But that's what it does. And look, even if we were scoring, and even if we were putting up points and doing well, when you hurry up on offense, even when you score, the defense is still coming out there for more possessions over the course of a game. And I just think our goal should be not to have the defense out there. Yeah. And also we aren't scoring, you know, it's like, I don't want to blame right. all our problems on Jason Garrett, but if there was one part of the team that you thought had some potential, it was the offense and look, it's only two weeks in, but yeah, they have not been good. They haven't scored much at all. Um, you know, they finally showed some life in the second half, uh, you know, on Sunday and damn near put, you know, brought it down there to, to win the game. But you know, it's not like he's not blowing you away. And it's just like, what? I just, it's, you know, why? Why do we? Why is he here? Why is he here? Because also, don't you want like don't you want a system that you're trying? Like we're gonna have this. We have this young quarterback. I mean, even if like let's say the Giants' offense was awesome this year, well then Jason Garrett's getting a new job, right? I mean, yeah, that's he, so here's true. a guy with a tenure who wants, I'm sure, desperately to be a head coach again, who has a resume that you could sell some, you know, foolish owner on. And so what's what's the long game of this? Like. There's no Jason Garrett system that we're trying to install for the long term. So what is the point? Right. That's a, that's very true. I had thought about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. What is the upside to this? Because, right, best case scenario, we're awesome this year. And then next year, we're giving uh, Daniel Jones his third offensive coordinator in three years. Right. Right. What's the point of that? Right. Speaking of Daniel Jones, Brian, is Daniel Jones good? <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I want to believe that he is. You know, it's like, if, if you know, you peel back, look, if he brings that team that he was one play away from securing the biggest moment of his career, you know, he really was sharp in the second half. He, he, I thought he made some, you know, made a couple fourth down pickups on that last drive. He did a lot of nice things again. And he literally one play away from us being like, boy, he, he took a big step. You know, that was the, this was the official start of the Daniel Jones era. You know, okay. You know what I mean? Like that would have been the feeling if yeah. they score there. But to that, they didn't score. <laughs> and they lost the game. And it was another game in which he had two turnovers. And he just, he turns it over constantly all the time every game (laughs) always now and forever so at a certain point you just can't excuse that anymore absolutely i mean i honestly i was i was somebody who i I sort of panned the whole the whole fumble thing you know i just thought look rookie quarterback horrendous offensive line terrible coaching just you know look they're getting to him and he's trying to hold the ball and he's trying to make some plays and he ends up fumbling, but I'm sure that'll get better. I don't think that's a very difficult problem to fix. And that was really the attitude that I went into the season with. But this weekend I had a real uh, Joe Boo moment with this where it's just, that's enough, Daniel. You can't (laughs) on the first drive of the game, for God's sake, you're fumbling the ball. So now that's two games this year that he's fumbled plus that scrimmage. Yeah, no, it's constant. It's constant. (laughs) It's constant fumbling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and you know at a certain point it's got to stop now i don't think we're at the point yet where it's like no it has to stop you know next game or he can't have any moments where he looks shaky and he's got to be like a fully finished product going forward but we're at the point where 
you know, you start to say, okay, he has some potential here, but he ha- these are fatal flaws, you know. And, yeah. and I'm not there yet, but I, it's like the first time where I'm not, I wasn't, like most of the time when someone asks me, is Daniel Jones good? I'm like, yeah, he's good. We're, you know, he's going to surprise everybody. He's good. And, and there was a lot of buzz about Daniel Jones. Like I haven't had my boss tell me he, he picked him in fantasy. You know, there wow. was this like... <laughs> feeling about Daniel Jones, he's going to have a big year. And I was like, yeah, I think he is, you know, I think he's going to go out there and be like, prove, you know, prove people like establish himself as yes, a top tier starter, or at least a real solid one. And I'm still, you know, I still think that's true. But it's the first time where I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to marry Daniel Jones. (laughs) I'm dating him. (laughs) And we can sleep together. And we're having some fun times, but <laughs> there's some foolishness that <laughs> right. some things got to get cleaned up. Some things got to get cleaned up before I make a commitment. <laughs> I'm right there with you, uh, but I'm here with a plan, Brian. I have a plan. I have a plan to fix Daniel Jones. I have a plan to fix Jason Garrett. I have a plan to fix the offense. Are you ready? Yes. Excited. Can we just let Daniel Jones run the ball? Yes. Yes. Why because can't why, we? Yeah. Why doesn't he? I don't understand. I mean, just again, speaking more broadly and not necessarily just specific to Daniel Jones, running quarterbacks are a huge problem for defenses. And you don't have to be Lamar Jackson in order to be an effective running quarterback. All you're doing in some cases, I mean, half the time, you don't even have to run the ball. You just have to be a threat to run the ball. And you're going to hold a defender somewhere that's going to give the offense a numbers advantage. And frankly, the Giants run game could use any, any advantage you can get. <laughs> you know, but he doesn't even have to run it every time. Sometimes he just needs to carry out a fake. I mean, you know, he, if, if he would have just at, at occasionally ran out a fake after handing off to Saquon, he might have held Dupree on the edge a few times last week. And that's yeah. really all you need to get out of him. Yeah, I agree. It's not like let, let's run the option, but you know, right? It should be a regular part of the offense. He's fast. He's big. He's a problem. Um, yeah, he's fast. Yeah, we should use it for sure, especially in the red zone. Um, oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, where it could open a ton of stuff up. Well, right, and Garrett has always, throughout his entire career, has struggled uh, calling offenses in in the red zone. And I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago where, you know, a lot of his schemes are based on having a deep threat to take the top off the defense and kind of operate underneath of it, but that you can't do that in the red zone because the field itself is what caps the top. And you can't really do that by running a guy downfield anymore. So you need to create some sort of advantage with the defense who's now operating in smaller space, and that's how they kind of get you. If you start running the quarterback, you're adding numbers to the math and you're making it more difficult to defend. And it just seems like, I don't understand why we weren't doing it last year as much. I don't know why we haven't done it through two weeks this year, but now that Barkley's gone, it's like, we just have to. Yeah. Yeah. We got to figure something out. Cause we can't rely on Wayne Gallman. I'm telling you that. Right. <laughs> right. Nobody named Wayne has ever been relied on <laughs> <laughs> except Wayne Scarberg to get to school much earlier than everybody else. <laughs> That's true. He that guy was like clockwork. So there's he a reliable Wayne right there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, switch sides of the of, of the ball for just a second here on the defense. So we're talking about things I don't ever want to see again. 
Uh, I don't ever want to see the Amoeba defense again. I've right. had it with the Amoeba defense. More, more than not want to see it, I just don't want to hear about it. You don't want to talk about it, yeah. Yeah, but the Amoeba defense, it, it's terrible. First of all, the Amoeba defense is when we take our defensive linemen out of the game and we put all our worst players out on the field because we're thinnest at linebacker and in the secondary. So, yeah, in the most critical of situations, let's put our worst players on the let's field. Let's get more of those guys in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, you know, we get to third down and we send out this amoeba defense. Like, that's where the Bears killed us this week, was on third down. What was it? I had this written down. In the first half, they converted seven out of ten third downs. Seven out of ten first down, third downs in, in, yeah. in the first half. And it's basically because we're in the amoeba defense and they're just doing whatever they want. Not right. to mention, the run defense is supposed to be the strength of the team. And it's also, it wasn't just the first half either. In the second half, Chicago had uh, 135 yards rushing on the day, and 82 of those yards came in the second half. And same the week before, Pittsburgh got 141 yards rushing, 98 in the second half. I mean, Dexter Lawrence was almost nowhere to be found on that final drive where the Bears, you know, and again, we talked about it already. They got lucky on that fourth down, but they killed the clock because they ran the ball relatively effectively. Yeah, and we don't have true. a first-round pick on the field. Right, right, and he's supposed to be like the guy you're building this defense around. So yeah, I don't really, you know, I mean, I generally trust the defensive coordinator, but I, I do I, like I, him too. Yeah, but. yeah, I like the idea behind it. It just seems like we don't really have the personnel for it, and yeah, um, it's not. You know, the 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 one where they ran it on the third down play where they they scored a t- the touchdown that put them up seventeen nothing was like embarrassing. Oh, it awful. was just like, what? Why did we do that? We just like <laughs> dropped back and let him kind of roam, roam around until he found someone open. It almost seemed intentional. I know. Well, I will to to uh, to Patrick Graham's credit, uh, I did think he did a better job. Like we did a pretty good job on Allen Robinson this week, and I think it was because. We did mix in some zone coverages. We mostly played man against the Steelers, and they absolutely torched us, especially going across the field. And we largely took care of that this week, mixing in a little bit more zone. We made it a little bit. I mean, I guess it's also we played Mitchell Trubisky instead of Ben Roethlisberger. So right. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> right. That also helps. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, luckily this week we're going to face Kyle Shanahan and, uh, you know, whatever offense they're going to be able to slap together. Uh, but Shanahan scares me. He does. I do think this is a big game for the Giants. You know, I think the Bear, as depressing as that Bears one was, especially losing Saquon, I weirdly took more out of it than the first week. I probably should have been much sadder last, you know, this week. Um, but given the 49ers are coming in here so banged up, um, Kittle's out, Garoppolo's hurt, Bosa's gone. Bosa's I think Mostert's hurt. hurt. Yeah, and um, Solomon Thomas too. He's hurt. Yes, so they're a really banged up team. You know, I you know, and I'm starting to you know, as much as we've we just spent 20 minutes kind of dumping on every Giants coach there is, <laughs> I have found myself warming my heart to Joe Judge. I, you know, I've been watching the Joe Judge report religiously. It's <laughs> changing my opinion of him a little bit. I think there's something to the teacher thing with him. Um, you know, I heard Logan Ryan on the fan today kind of singing his praises about what a great teacher he is. I would love nothing more than for our own very own Joe Judge to take down that little twerp Kyle Shanahan, who though he is a brilliant genius, you know, just rubs me the wrong way. First, I I just want to say, 
how excited I am. It's really, it's renewed my uh, sort of excitement in the Giants that you are coming around on Joe Judge. (laughs) (laughs) Because I really liked him and I was really ready to embrace him. And I could tell you didn't like him. And, you know, it's kind of like when you're trying to decide what to watch on TV with your wife at night. And, (laughs) you know, you press a little harder for the show that you want and then she agrees to it. And, you know, you're happy you get to watch it, but it's also like, I just wish she was a little more into it than I like. Than That's she so is. true. And the slightest bit of like misgiving, you're like, forget it. Let's just, whatever, what do you want to watch? <laughs> yes. Yes. Fine. And that's we'll how watch. I was experiencing Joe Judge because you just, you know, like, all right, fine. I guess he stinks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hated him too. Forget it. But I, I, I'm glad you've come around on Joe Judge, and, and I agree. I want to, to shove it in Kyle Shanahan's face, especially all this crying about the turf. Come on. It's not, nothing's wrong with the turf. We played the Steelers on that turf the week before. Nobody from either team had a complaint. We had a ton of practices in there. I'm sorry your season went down the toilet just like ours. But yeah, don't blame the turf. I don't know what to make about the 49ers, too. I mean, look, they, they lost to the Cardinals, who look like they're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then you know they kill the Jets team that's just horrendous, where everything's falling apart, and Adam Gase is probably getting fired next week. Um, <laughs> Sam Darnold has just not, you know, I, I don't know what to, you know, Sam Darnold, it, like they're already talking, the Jets are talking about like tanking for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, geez, you just did that. Sam Darnold was like the number three pick, right? Um. There was a play I saw on Twitter Sam Darnold made that was unbelievable. He was rolling left, and he threw across his body to a guy who was going right, like 40 yards down the field. I mean, it was an unbelievable throw. And you do, like, I've not been super impressed with him. He, You know, he turns it over a ton, and it does seem like maybe he just doesn't have it. But it also does feel like the Jets' dysfunction is just... Torching yeah, it's hard that guy. to overcome. Sure. It is. I mean, I mean, I like. I'll show it to you. This pass he made was unbelievable. Um, but anyway, the point being that I, I don't take too much out of the 49ers beating up on the Jets, who are in kind of a free fall. So it's definitely an opportunity for us to at least. There's been this like, yeah, a little engine that could. Hey, we've shown some fight. Maybe we get a win on a banged up Niners team, and you know, start to at least, you know turn the feeling around a little bit no i I totally agree with you it's like a very weird it's very weird to to close this podcast with a little bit of optimism (laughs) but i do sort of agree i think they were kind of perfectly set up i think it's kind of a perfect storm uh for us and a and a terrible storm for them uh and um, by the way anyone listening at home we mentioned the jets so if you want to make a little drinking game out of that we're not going to mention them often (laughs) so you could take a shot and if you're listening to this on radio free brooklyn at 6 a.m uh just be prepared to play that drinking game because you won't be drunk going to work because we're not going to talk about the jets that much right (laughs) right so have a little sambuca in your coffee and you know it won't be that big a deal yeah (laughs) and on that note brian uh a successful first show i think for radio free brooklyn i'm happy to be here i'm happy they're having us and i'm happy i got to talk to you about the giants today yeah this was fun and uh let's keep it going all right i will talk to you next week brian all right